So we are about to start a new series called Welcome to Earth. Um, this is Christmas season, right? We're celebrating Jesus coming to earth. And I think sometimes we get this image of what it looks like when Jesus came to earth. What are some things, when you picture Jesus' birth and stuff, what are, what are some things that you picture? Tell me. Lights. Like a lot of lights. Lights. So you picture Jesus being born and there were lights all around him? Yeah, and then like like singing. Like. Okay, lights and singing. Okay. Yeah, yeah your, your nativity is interesting. Pass it to someone else. Don't be mean. Wow. That's so harsh. All these people around you and you just go all the way across the room. All right. So what do you think about? What do you think about? Um, I think of like a barn. With like a barn? Animals. You think about a barn? All right. Pass it around. Pass it around. Let's get a couple more. I think there was like a father and a mother. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph and Mary were there. The mother is definitely there because the baby has to come from her. The North Star. What? The North Star. Okay. The star. A big star. What else? A couple more. Wow. That was good. A donkey. A donkey. A donkey. Yes. Donkeys do play in the story. A lot of like hay and animals. Hay and animals. Yeah. I mean, we have this picture. How many of you around this time of year, you have like a nativity set at home, right? And it's got the, the little sheep and the, the cow and, 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 you, and it's so peaceful, right? Everybody's just resting, looking at the baby. And, um, you know, I just think, I, but I watch these like uh, funny pet videos and I, if there was a goat in that barn at all, it didn't look like that. Because, you know, they're always jumping around and headbutting everybody and like it would have been a mess. And so like I, I think we have this very sanitized picture of what it was like when Jesus was born. And, and we, we kind of picture that Jesus is born into this world of silent night, right? This peaceful, quiet world. But the truth is the world that Jesus was born into was insane. It was in upheaval. It was crazy. So, like, we don't know. Anybody, anybody know what year? What year do you think Jesus was born? Somebody, anybody? What, what do you think? <laughs> like zero. Zero? Year zero? Okay. Maybe. That's, that's possible, I guess. Zero? 2 AD. 2 AD. 2 AD. What do you think? 13 AD. 13 A.D. Wow. Okay. Okay. We're moving. We're moving farther into the A.D.s. 4 A.D. 4 A.D. I actually, it's really interesting that you bring up 4 A.D. because 4 A.D. three or four is really a common the consensus. There's a lot of people, a lot of historians who believe he was born either three or four A.D. Now, what's crazy about that is that. 4 AD was a year of a lot of upheaval. It was a weird time to be alive. So at the time Jesus is born, there's a king whose name is Herod. Herod. Anybody ever heard of him? Herod. Not Harry. Not Harry Potter. No, it's Herod. H-E-R-O-D. Herod. Now this guy had done some really cool stuff. He built some 
amazing buildings. He had been rebuilding the temple. Um, he had uh, built a huge fortress on top of a mountain called Masada that's, like, amazing. If you ever want to look up, if you like, like, fortifications and fortresses and stuff, look up Masada. It was, it was this crazy castle that was around the top of, like, this little mesa, and it was right next to the Dead Sea. So it was very low, um, below sea level. It's below sea level. And so there's a lot of salt in the air, so they could preserve food there, and it would last for a long time. I had these cisterns that would catch water. So even though it was desert, it could, they could keep, keep water there for a long time. So it could, it could keep like a couple of hundred guys could hold off a whole army at this fortress that he made. And he did all this stuff. But all the building programs that he did meant that he needed money, right? And so the money he got was by taxing people. So he taxed and taxed and taxed. So if you lived in, in Israel at this time, there were all these beautiful buildings and all these poor people. So it was really, really weird, you know? Because you got these buildings that look beautiful and and you know, marble and beauty, and, and then all these people that have no money, right? They can't make ends meet. And um, Herod was the cause of that. And Herod was, was called the king, but he was really more of a, a governor because Rome was in control. Herod kind of worked for Rome. He was just a puppet. He didn't have any real power. Uh, he, he had to go through Rome to get his power right? But Herod was the definition of crazy, all right? This guy was nuts. He murdered three of his sons because he thought they were trying to take the throne from him. Murdered them, just murdered them. Um, he, he like, uh, he, there's one story that, that's really interesting. He was dying. This is in 4 AD, actually. He was dying. He was very sick, and he was worried that someone was going to take the throne from him, so he's all paranoid, he's killing people. But he, there were all these rumors that he had died. And so there was one rumor that everybody kind of was like, well, that makes sense, I think he's really dead. And the rumor persisted for a few days. And so in front of the temple, Herod had erected a giant Roman eagle, which was very offensive, okay? It was very offensive to the Jews to have in front of their temple this giant Roman eagle, this symbol of their oppression, right? And so these two guys went, and they were like, Herod's dead, let's destroy the eagle. And so they tear down this Roman eagle, and they break it apart, right? Herod wasn't dead. Um, so Herod finds out about it, and finds out why they did it, that they did it because they thought he was dead. And so then Herod has them... Uh, hung up like on a cross kind of where the eagle stood and then had them set on fire um, for everybody to see. And uh, um, so, yeah, he was a nice guy. Um, Herod, so when Herod was dying, when Herod's dying, he, uh, he's really worried that no one's going to mourn him. And, and with good reason. Nobody cared about him. Nobody liked him. In fact, a lot of people were planning parties 
for when Herod died, where they were going to celebrate, like, Herod's dead, yeah, right? And so Herod heard about these Herod death parties that they were going to have, and so he brought together uh, in the Hippodrome, which is where they would have horse races, not hippo races. I know hippo races would be so much more fun, but it's just horse races. So in this Hippodrome, he brought all these Jewish leaders, rabbis, religious leaders, community leaders, people that people loved, you know, grandmas and grandpas, brought them all to the Hippodrome. And he said, here's what's going to happen. When I die, guards, I want you to slaughter all of them. Because I want there to be tears and mourning all across the land when I die. And he knew they wouldn't mourn him, so he was going to have all these people killed. That's the kind of person Herod was. He was paranoid, he was crazy, he was super dangerous. This is who's ruling at the time of Jesus. Now here's what's crazy. All those stories were told by a guy named Josephus. He told a bunch of stories about what Herod did. But we have a story we're going to read today in Matthew that even more reveals who Herod was. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 2 and we're going to start at verse 1. And I'd like people to read like a slide. So we'll, we'll go down the, the list here. So you're going to read a slide and then pass it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, so let's hold there for a second. So who are the Magi? Anybody know? The wise men. Very good. Sometimes we call them the wise men. They were... They were guys who were into, they, they watched the stars for signs. They, they were looking for supernatural happenings. And so they came and they're looking for a new king. That's what the signs were telling them was happening. So they went to the current king to ask him. Makes sense, right? And I love this, this line. It says, Her Herod heard this. He was disturbed, right? And then it says, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, here's the thing. Jerusalem wouldn't have been disturbed because there was a new king. They would have been excited about that. Jerusalem was probably disturbed because when Herod's mad, everybody's in danger, right? Have you ever had a teacher like that? A teacher who, who if they were mad, it was going to be a bad day in their class. And if they were happy, it was going to be a good day in their class, right? And sometimes it was, it's irrational. I had a teacher in high school. We'll call him Mr. M, okay? Mr. M, I'm not going to use his name because now we podcast and I don't want, he might hear it and hunt me down. Um, I'm still scared of him. 30 years later, I'm still scared of this guy. So Mr. M was my anatomy teacher in high school. And he had this thing where when you took a test, he would seat you based on your test scores. So over here, first seat was the highest score, and it went back and back and back and back and back. And this sixth row over here, where you guys are, would be called the dummy row. And, there, and he had a sign that hung above it that said dummy row. And here's the rule. If you're in the dummy row, he doesn't acknowledge your presence. 
He said, it would be like me having a conversation with a goldfish, is what he said. So I don't talk to people because I feel like you will sap my intelligence out of me. So if you're in the dummy row and you have a question and you raise your hand, he won't call on you. He won't. If you make a comment, if you make a comment, he would say stuff like, does anybody hear a ghostly disembodied voice in the room? There's no one, no one there. I think it's coming from this empty row. Well, this group of empty heads in the empty row, he would say, stuff like that. He'd say stuff like that all the time. So one day I came home from school, I had homework, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. I didn't understand it. And so I, I told my teacher, so here's the deal, a couple of days before, the day that, actually, I think it was that day, we had taken a quiz in class, easy quiz, 20 questions. I missed one of the questions, just one, but it was super easy, so everybody else aced it. So I had 95% on the quiz, I'm in the dummy row. I got an A, I'm in the dummy row. And, and there's two people in the dummy row. There's five seats in the dummy row. Two of the people in the dummy row got hundreds, but their names, their last name began with Y and Z, so they were the last of the hundreds, so they're in the dummy row. So they can't talk. We can't talk. So anyway, so I get home. I'm having trouble with my homework. My parents, my parents always figured it was my fault. They, they, I mean, that's the way they worked. Like, if I'm not learning from a teacher, it's my fault. I should have asked more questions. I should have done more. So they're going, well, why do you not know how to do this? And I said, well, I, you know, I just didn't learn it in class. And they said, well, why didn't you ask questions? I said, well, I tried, but I'm in the dummy row. And they're like, the what? I said, the dummy row. I'm in the dummy row. When you're in the dummy row, you can't ask questions. He doesn't talk to you. Oh, really? My dad says. That's all he says. He doesn't say anything else. My dad was an elementary school principal in, the, in town there. So evidently my dad, the elementary school principal, calls up my high school principal and says, hey, what's the deal with the dummy row? And my high school principal says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, in anatomy class, the dummy row. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't sound right to me. I'll look into it. Okay, thanks. So anyway, so I show up class, fifth period, walk into class, and immediately I notice the dummy row sign is gone. It's in the trash. Okay. All right, cool. And my teacher, Mr. M, is standing up front, and he starts walking back and forth for a little while. He's kind of deep in thought, and he says, you can see, you may have seen by now that there is no dummy row anymore. So I want us to learn a lesson from that. And the lesson is this. Repeat after me. What you see, what you see, what you hear, what you hear, when you leave, when you leave, leave it here. Leave it here. He had us repeat that over and over for 45 minutes. Class is 50 minutes long. For 45 minutes, he's basically telling us, don't snitch on him anymore. The last five minutes of class were a pop quiz where the only question on the quiz was, what did you learn today? What is the phrase that you learned today? 
What you see, what you hear, when you leave, leave it here. The man was crazy. The man was crazy. And, and that's what we did the whole class. He would have pop quizzes. He would have pop quizzes. He would be mad one day. Like somebody was talking before class and he didn't like that they were talking. I don't know. And he'd go, okay, we're going to have a pop quiz on, on the digestive system. Now we're in a unit on the nervous system and we haven't talked about the digestive system. Irrelevant. He gives us a hundred question test that he calls a quiz on the digestive system. And we'd all fail it, you know. It was crazy. He was nuts. He, he would do it. But, but when he was in a good mood, you know, he was all right. He was all right. He was in a bad mood. You were going to have a bad day. And that's how Herod was. Like, Herod had people around him who were all like, Herod, you're great. Herod, we love you. You're the best. And, and he was good to them, right? But if you were against him, or if you threatened him, he was going to crush you, right? So pass it on, pass it on. Let's keep reading about this story about Herod. He, he'll, oh, you have a question? Did your um, teacher get sued? Uh, no, he did not. He did not. Years later, uh, he, did get, um, he did get fired um, when he punched a kid in class. Um, he... He had a rule that when his door was shut, you were tardy, no matter what. If the bell hadn't rung and his door was shut, you were tardy. You had to go to the office and get a pass. So he was closing the door, but the bell hadn't rung. And so this kid was coming up to the door and put his foot in the door and was like, I'm here, I'm here on time, I'm here on time, my foot's in the room. And Mr. M goes, oh, you are, you're right, and opens the door boom, hits him and goes, get out of my class. And turns around and just starts teaching. And just starts teaching. My sister was in the class when I happened, I think. Somebody, no, somebody else was in the class. They told me that happened, so I, I believe it. But he, he was crazy. Anyway, pass it on. Let's hear more about Herod. But, but that gives you a, a point of reference. It's, Herod was that crazy too. Who wants to read? Anybody? Nobody wants to read? Oh, there's one. There's some hands back here, over there. There you go. Good throw. Oh, my. All right, here we go. Thank you. So here we go. Verse 4. Verse 4. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Okay, pass it on. Who's next? Who wants to read? There you go. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so I may go and worship him. See, now they don't, know, they don't know Herod, so they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. He should go worship him. But you, you guys would have seen through this, right? Herod's like, yeah, I just want to worship him. <laughs> I just want to worship him. I want to squeeze him until he can't breathe anymore. I want to love him so much. Like Herod is, is looking to kill this baby, right? So let's go on. Let's keep reading. Who's next? 
After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with its mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And, and I just want to hit this real quick. So we always, we usually, when we hear about the wise men, we hear three wise men. We don't know how many wise men there were. There could have been 10. There could have been 20. There could have been two, right? We know there's more than one because it's magi. That's plural. But we usually say three because there were three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. And so we kind of think, well, each wise man brought a gift. But it could have been a whole, it could have been a whole D&D party, right? It could have been like five, six, seven that were all traveling together. So, um, yeah. So we don't know how many wise men we, there were. We do know what they brought, which was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right. Who wants to read, finish us off here? When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Oh, wait. There is one more. One more slide. Who wants to read the last one? Oh, good. Because this is the big part. This is where it gets crazy. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and to his vicinity, who were two years and old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. <laughs> so Herod says, oh, you didn't tell me where the baby is. I'll just kill all the babies. Yeah. So this story, though, it's really interesting because there's some historians who say this didn't really happen, um, that, that Herod never ordered the murder of babies. Because Josephus doesn't record it, and their, their point is, if all these hundreds of babies were killed, why would Josephus not have put that in when he's talking about Herod? And that's, a, that's an interesting point, right? But here's what I want you to understand. So at that time... Infant mortality, babies dying, was a common thing. Probably one out of two would make it to two years old, right? So that's not very many. In Bethlehem, there were about 1,500 people, right? So if you consider probably 500 of those are too young to have children, and probably 500 of those are too old or single or they just don't have children, right? So if you think there's probably 500 people in Bethlehem who are capable of producing children, and, and then you would have 250 couples, right? Because it takes two. I'm not going to go into the mechanics of it, but I think you guys all know this. It takes two people to make a baby. So, so if you have 250 people, 250 couples who can make babies, right? All of those are not going to make a baby every year. But let's say over the course of two years, let's say 50 of those have babies, right? So 
if you have 50 of them that have babies and the infant mortality rate is one in two, that means only about 25 of those babies are going to survive to be two years old. And then of those 25 babies, half of them are going to be probably, statistically, half of them are going to be girls, half of them are going to be boys, right? So we're only looking at about 12 or 13 babies that Herod murdered. So when we look at that, and we look at that in the course of what Herod did, the things that he did, that might have been overlooked. I think this story completely fits with the historic version of Herod that we have. It completely fits with a guy who gets mad and acts and does violent damage to people around him. This is the world in which Jesus was born. Look at your blanks there. This is a world that's broken. Jesus is born into a world that's broken. It's broken politically. It's broken socially. It's broken religiously. And we'll talk about that later. But like I said, there's this big gap between rich, super rich, and super poor, right? There's this big gap in culturally where the Romans are the occupiers and the rulers, but the Jews have a very specific way that they want to live in, in, in contrast to that. So this world is a world that's at odds with each other, that's constantly like butting heads with itself, right? Jesus was also, he was born into a world that was oppressed. People didn't have the freedom to, to do anything, to be anything. You didn't have, like if you were born poor, you were going to stay poor. There was no possibility. And I mean, I know that's, that's kind of our culture today in a lot of ways. Like it's harder, it's hard if you're poor to work your way up that ladder. But in Jesus' time, it wasn't hard. It was impossible. There was no way that you were going to work your way up a ladder. There was no ladder, right? So it, it was a time of oppression. And, and that's why people rose up and did things like tear down Roman eagles, even though they thought they might die. Or just 50 years before Jesus is born, the Jews rise up in a rebellion. The Maccabees, they try to stop, um, try to throw off the rule, right? Well, the Maccabees were one. There were others too. But um, there's all these rebellions that happen. Fifty years after Jesus, there's another one that results in Rome tearing down the temple. So this is a place of oppression where people, where the Jews are trying to rise up and throw off Roman yoke and they can't and and they're constantly being pushed down and, and told they're inferior. But here's the big thing that you need to know. Jesus was born into a world that was waiting for salvation. Was waiting for salvation. Listen to this. You need to understand this if you miss everything else. When in Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell, right? That wasn't God making a mistake and trying to fix it by having Jesus come later. I want you to know, God created the world so that he could redeem it. Understand that. 
This is not plan B. This is not God created the world and we messed it up so he had to fix it. That's not what happened. God created the world knowing we would mess it up and planning to redeem it. God believed, and I think this has to be true, God believes that this is the best way for him to show how much he loves us. It's to redeem a fallen world. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about Christmas, when we talk about Jesus coming into the world, into the world, he came to an earth that's as broken as it is today. It was as oppressed as it is in places today. And he came into a world that was waiting for salvation the way I, I believe a lot of people in our world today are. They feel hopeless, they feel oppressed, they feel broken, and they need salvation. So we're going to talk more about this next week. We're going to talk more about what this world looks like and about why Jesus came and what, what it means for us. But uh, that's what I want you guys to understand today. Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you. Thank you that 2,000 years ago, you, you came into this world not just to, not, not just to be a king, Lord, but you came to be a humble servant, to serve, to, to show us what it means to be redeemed, to show us what redemption looks like, to show us what salvation looks like. Lord, you came as plan A from the fall of man till you came. That was all part of God's plan. And Lord, I, I just pray that as we live our lives, we'll realize we are still living in that plan. We are still living in this this course of history that you put into motion. And Lord, I just pray that um, as we celebrate this season when you came into the world, that we'll realize that you didn't come into a, a pristine, clean, beautiful world. You came into a, a disturbing, dangerous, deadly, dirty world. And Lord, I just pray that um, we'll all be thankful for that. Lord, thank you for all you're doing in and through us and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys next week.